Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here with Product Growth Leaders, and welcome back to another topic of the week. Great panel today with regulars Greg Fenton, Jason Vincelette, John Harmer, Steve Johnson, and myself talking about predictability versus agility. Before we even get into it, uh, you know, I know Steve and John, you guys had a conversation with a whole bunch of uh, SaaS software companies and their executives about predictability and agility sort of, you know, gave us the, the motivation for this topic. What, were there any key takeaways from that, from, from those people? Some of them really appreciated the reframing that we provided uh, that we can, we'll get into here in a little bit. Uh, some of them were definitely stuck on, I need to tell my sales team exactly what they're getting, my investors exactly what they're getting, and what the sales team exactly is going to sell. Like They just needed this level of certainty about the future that is impossible, and I don't think we ever won that guy over. <laughs> I believe that's true. And you know, I started off with a number of things consultants say, which seem to loosen everybody up a little bit, but you know, it's like, how's that working for you? You know, in, in, you know, in the past, every time we do this, bad things happen. Well, then, okay, stop doing that, right? I'm gonna do it. I have to somehow get the transcripts of all the calls. I think that Steve saying, how's that working out for you is probably gonna be the number one phrase <laughs> of, the, of, of our pot, of our, conversations so well and john's uh john's good at saying uh it depends <laughs> you know That's it's like it, it's it's a good one it is a good one and you know people are like well you know what's the answer and you're like it depends you know oh shoot you, you know and and one of the things that we talked about or will talk about is you know every time you change the team working on something you reduce its productivity yeah. And so, you know, how in the world, if, if you, you know, even in a, in a car trip, you know, if you keep changing your destination or you keep adding requirements and saying, oh, well, we want to stop and see the world's biggest ball of twine, uh, all those things impact the end result. Recalculating. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, look forward to this conversation and I expect we're going to hear a lot of depends. Uh, if not from John, from everybody as well. So we had our first question and dude, Jason, you last week you said you were going to learn and you're going to stay and be the last person. And then you come in with a, a Greg Fenton type essay on predictability versus agility. I just copied and pasted the whole thing. At like 901. <laughs> uh, again, I get started very early being a European company. So I'm already way going. So I, I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna just turn instead of reading the, the, your dissertation uh, that Greg would be uh, jealous of. I'm gonna let you, <laughs> I'm gonna let you, you know, I will say that I read it and I'm like, okay, that that's my there was when we did what is a product. I put my answer out first, and Jason and John just went, yep, that's it. And Jason, uh, Jason, you you did a great job. I'd love to get you, you know, let's talk about it. 
Oh my gosh, I'm trying to read what I wrote. <laughs> oh, here, let me make that big so people can see that. There you go. Five um, days have gone by after all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot has changed. A lot of, yeah. Yeah, past Jason was very smart. Friday Jason, wondering what past Jason was talking Monday, about. Monday Jason and Friday Jason are two different Jasons for sure. This is weekend Jason. I paint my nails. <laughs> all right. Still, I'm still secret. There you go. Uh, here, I don't think that predictability and agility need to be mutually exclusive in planning. Agile thinking just allows you to make adjustments based on current information. Management of both of these require proper communication with stakeholders up front and with measurement and communication as plans are executed. Make sure the stakeholders understand that the teams will use data to adjust as necessary. Ideally, the plan goes, goals are centered around customers' problems and required changes still takes that into consideration. Now, do you remember? Yeah, so, yeah, so ultimately, I mean, like I said, predictability versus agility, I think that has to do with communication up front. I mean, we have to allow our development teams to be, uh, be able to respond to challenges that they have during the development cycle. I think a lot of the communication I have done through executive stakeholders, non-development stakeholders, sales is to say that um, development is not manufacturing. And as much as it says computer science, I actually think a lot of it is computer art. And um, and almost every problem is a unique problem. And with unique problems, there is uh, unique solutions. And sometimes the initial idea of solving the problem or going after it is not the one that ends up being the idea that is uh, ultimately, you know, the one that goes into the development of it. And so we have to allow the developer to be creative in order to find the best way to go and not tie them to their initial thoughts. So there's the agility, but again, um, you know, there is predictability of longer term, like we're gonna get this and that's, and that's needed for your um, stakeholders. And so a little bit, like I said, there's a little bit of a mix there. And it, it tied great into our stakeholder conversation from last week. Uh... And my video was slowing down. Uh, I, I resonated a ton, and I, I love the alignment issue, right? If you're aligned on what the goals are and where you're trying to get in the endpoint, sort of in road mapping, uh, to me that makes a ton of difference for this because we can align and, and we can communicate around those. And like any stakeholder or launch plan, have the agreement that if something comes up, that will change it make sure there's communication, the stakeholders are, are engaged. This actually tied perfectly with the stakeholder communication from last week. Greg, I'd love to get your take. Yeah, I mean, I would add on to that is that, you know, that part of that communication and what Jason was saying is that stuff is gonna happen and also new ideas will come. Um, and, you know, you may want to make adjustments and it may adjust the goals or may not, it depended upon the situations going on, but putting out that, that clear communication that, that you know, we have decided that we're going to change. Everybody nod their head, including the stakeholder. We agree we're changing, and then moving on. Um, and and you know, it's not a secret. It's not. This is what we're doing, and this is how we're going. You know, predictability is all based on past past performance. And as you know, as was said, you know, when you change teams out or you change out things, then past performance is out the window. So. You know, both of those really come into play, and that's this is you know, Jason, this is perfect. Um, and and you and I agree with you that software development is 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 really an art form. It's not, you know, you're not building widgets. You know, you are. It is. It is. 
crafting things and you can do something really fast and and ugly to get it out or you want something that actually has you know some longevity to it exactly greg steve this had me thinking about conversations we've had we've had on this call where we talk about outcomes versus you know the the who and why versus the the how and how if we set outcomes, you're at a corporate level, we've got certain objectives we're looking for. We're, we're at a project level, we've got certain objectives and key results we're looking for. It, to me, talk, what's your thought on how, you know, almost predictive versus agility goes into everything we talk about in product management and having a non-chaotic process? <laughs> you're on mute, Steve. And I wasn't saying anything yet, uh, <laughs> but there's that. I'm, you know, I'm still stuck on some of the comments uh, um, of today and the last few days uh, about what can we know. And, you know, I think to your point, we know who we're building something for. We know what outcomes we want to achieve. We have no idea how we're going to do it. And the, the equivalency that I've used uh, to get people kind of out of their, their point of view, if you will, is whatever you say about development can be said about sales. Um, and, you know, so you say, well, you know, we want to predict our cost of development for the year. Well, you can do that, but you can't predict the cost of a feature. Likewise, you can predict your revenue forecast, but you have no idea what clients are going to generate it. So the equivalency is saying, well, I want single sign-on. Uh, I want it in, uh, in June, preferably on the 12th. And that's like saying, I want to close AT&T for this package on April 14th. And you know, at the beginning of the quarter, the sales team has no earthly idea how they're going to make their number. And so, it's what I finally evolved to was this equivalency that a feature is a, is synonymous with a client. Whereas, you know, the initiative is, you know, we want to build this product. We're going to devote ten developers to it. They're going to deliver something by the end of the quarter. And the same is true with sales. You know, we're going to give them some sales enablement tools and say, go sell this thing. And we're going to expect to see this kind of revenue, but not from which clients. Yeah. See, I would, I would counter a little bit to that. Um, if I throw in um, on a hardware side, if you're actually building something that is hardware related, you have specific sales cycles in, and even like applications. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, mobile apps and things like that, you definitely have, um, you know, when you talk about like hardware, you're going to put something in Home Depot, you actually have to, you know, you have to work really hard to get on to the end, you know, the end of the aisle. There mm -hmm. is a, there is a timeline, you are in that slot, you will deliver. I, I would um, argue that it's not just hardware, it's some industries, right? If you're, I've, yeah. I've done so, uh, consulting in the ed tech space, and if you don't have your stuff you're going to sell all your stuff in, in closing in June, July, because the, the, the cycle of the, the year, right? So people's fiscal years end in June. You have, and you only have the summer to implement stuff. 
right? right? Because the way it goes, uh, just like in, in the, you know, getting in for school at the stores or getting in for Christmas at the stores to, to your analogy there, Greg. John, question for you. It just hit me while we were having this conversation. Is scope creep the biggest issue? It seems like scope creep is a major issue when it comes to predictability versus agility. What, what's your thoughts? Uh, I mean, that is among the big issues for sure, right? So if you say I'm going to deliver X by Y date, uh, hopefully you've built in a ton of buffer into that. So the, the analogy we used uh, earlier this week, Steve and I, was airlines. Like uh, planes are going to go from JFK to Philly or whatever, and it's going to take X amount of time. Like they, they book that amount of time for that. But sometimes you're late. And sometimes you get uh, diverted to another airport, right? And so there's a number of things that can go wrong that will ruin the predictability of that. But they start with a whole bunch of extra buffer in the process so that they can hit their on-time numbers. Yeah. In other words, they're, they're setting expectations uh, in terms of stakeholder management. They're setting expectations with their stakeholders. It's going to take two and a half hours, even though it's only an hour in the air or yeah. whatever, right? So I think it's the same thing here. If you commit to some end result, some outcome, and you know that if you work perfectly you might hit that outcome and that's the thing you commit to that's like setting yourself up for failure even without scope creep so you gotta like it always takes longer than you think because again this is creative work not science uh, and even science is actually creative work too you don't know how the experiments are going to turn out right so it's like yeah. this confluence of known unknowns and unknown unknowns uh scope creep is a known unknown that can come in and, and alter your timeline so you just have to be careful yeah. Or change the way you predict things. Yeah. Well, with the airline analogy, too, I remember I was flying somewhere and the plane broke. Well, we were not flying yet. Uh, we were on the ground waiting to board. The plane was broken. And the person next to me said, well, are they going to go get another plane? And I'm like, no, they're not. There are no extra planes. They use 100% of their planes. And when they need to service the plane, you know what happens? you wait an extra hour and a half on the ground while they change the oil. They don't even build in, you know, maintenance uh, and they'll just let me sit in the airport all that time. Uh, and so it's not like anybody's got any extra resources. You know, when, the, when, a fly, uh, when a flight is delayed in Denver for snow, guess what? They just cancel a whole bunch of flights. They don't say, well, we'll just, you know, we'll bring in a different crew, we'll bring in a different plane, we'll bring in a whatever, because that's just, they, they're running at 100% capacity. And uh, as, as John's heard me say before, uh, so many teams, it seems to me, schedule 100% of their capacity and then expect to be able to do additional things as well in the spare time that they have. And, you know, I do wonder for those crazy places that have ping pong tables, and, you know, the developers are all, I don't know, doing stuff. I wonder how many people walk through there and go, well, this is why I can't get my feature because the developers are playing ping pong. And you're like, well, they can't work 12 hours a day. They got to break every once in a while. And they're like, I work 12 hours a day. And I'm like, drinking is not work. But it's just interesting. To, uh, I, keep, I keep coming back to the equivalency. Let's hold development and sales up to the same level of precision. I think it's reasonable. And one other thing that, that John said that I want to leverage, and that is I've become a ship on time guy. Like 
I can guarantee you when it's coming out. I don't know what it will be, but it will be coming out. Yeah. And I think the whole release train metaphor is absolutely the way to go. No, it makes a ton of sense. And that word precision, right? We talked about predictability in the question, but predictability and precision are, are interrelated, but not the same thing, right? I can predict something with a margin of error, right? To get precision, you know, we used to talk about when you're doing your pro forma, as you, you know, I don't know it. I say it's 30 million, but that's just me doing a, a scientific wild ass guess. And, you know, I'm never going to hit 30 million. I'm, you know, you're never going to hit exactly what you project. It's, 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 you're giving a ballpark, you're predicting versus being precise about it. Right. Um, on the other hand, though, as ship day approaches, my precision goes to 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A year in advance, I can tell you, we'll probably have a new release next year. I, I was working with a big, uh, a big fintech. I mean, really, really big fintech. And they had part of their product management, part of their organization makes the software cores that run banks, right? Our banking statements. And another part was doing more mobile bill pay and that type of stuff. And you had two different cultures. One was a very agile culture with somebody you probably know, John, uh, Brian Sondergaard. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you had a more waterfall because the big banks, they, we said we were trying to do road mapping. We're like, what level of precision, you know, what level of confidence do you have at one quarter out, two quarters out, a year out, you know, and the, the banking core people are like, we're at 95% confidence for, for 18 months from now because they're a waterfall thing that's building a massive core software that's running stuff that, that doesn't have a chance for you to fail and iterate, right? When it has probably much more clear requirements and ways of uh, addressing those requirements. There's it less very few unknowns. Yeah. Exactly. It, but it goes to the depends, right? Then you have a more web-based, mobile-based app, which is able to iterate on the fly. And they were having confidence level at like, 95% for this quarter, <laughs> right? And it was, you know, but to your point, Steve, the closer you get to it, uh, the the more you, uh, more confidence you have in what you're gonna do. So, you know, I love this because Steve came in with a rant in his answer. We didn't even have to wait until Friday to get a Steve rant, right? As a product manager, I just wanted everybody to shut the hell up and let me do my job without interference or help as they called it. Uh, I learned to be forthcoming with status, including roadmaps, completed work, and so on. Kanban was your career saver. Talk, Steve, let's let's dig into this. I think that's it. <laughs> There's no digging to be had? No, well, no. I mean, uh, you know, I think when you, cut, when you start in product management, it's like, unless you've had a good mentor or a good coach, you're kind of on your own. I mean, you go off to maybe a training seminar and uh, and learn some things, but you know, you're you're you're. It, it just seems like early on, you're just like, leave me alone, let me do my job. And then, as you mature in the job, you start realizing, you know, your number one co contribution is to say no to everybody, um, but offset that with reporting. And for me, being able to show the Kanban and say, look, there's a whole bunch of ideas here 
in the uh, planning queue that haven't been researched, they haven't been vetted, we have no idea if anybody other than the person who thunk it up wants this thing. And until we've done a little bit of research, I'm not going to devote resources to it, but here's the stuff that's ready. Here's the stuff we're working on. Here's the stuff that's done. Here's the stuff that's released. And suddenly you've got a visibility to what's really going on with the product. Uh, and I think the, the biggest issue that I ran into was because I wasn't keeping my stakeholders informed, they, tr they basically started micromanaging me. They're like, you know, what did you, what have you done for me lately? You know, what are you, what are you working on today? And, you know, I'm, again, I'm back to the, would everybody leave me alone? I'm trying to do my job, but it turns out a lot of the job is keeping everybody else informed about what's going on. Yeah. Well, have you found leave me alone is ignoring stakeholder management. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Have you found that when, you know, with that stakeholder conversation or developer or anyone else that, you're very, very clear on what mean what priority means. What are the factors that come into priority? Um, so that you know here, you know you have a Kanban. That's great. Here's the list of things we're you know working. But mm -hmm. this is priority one because of these specific factors and making those factors very clear and unemotional to the stakeholders. They understand what it means for them to get into higher priority queues. Mm -hmm. Objectivity and transparency and the prioritization and decision making is yeah. I mean, transparency, you know, man. There's a term, transparent and sincere. Transparency. Oh wow! I love it. But you know that you no, know the, say, it helps. It helps with the sales guys. It helps with the business leads. It helps with you know the technology guys because the tech. You know, let's not downplay technology as a stakeholder because you're going to have, you know, tech debt or you got, you mm -hmm. know, new technologies to put in to make life a lot easier that main that, you know, a sales guy is going to be like, I don't care about that. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what, you're going to, you're going to really care about it, you know, sometime later when we can't deliver anything. So, right. yeah. You know. Right. And, you know, I remember having a similar conversation with one of my directors and uh, directors of sales. And I said, you know, you here are these things that we're doing so we can have a better product next year. And he said, I'm not going to be here next year. I live for this day. I live for this week. I live for this month. And if I don't make my number, I get shot. And I can't live for the future. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm here for the long haul, <laughs> right? Well, but he's also looking to you to help him stay there. Yeah. One would hope. One would hope uh, that particular scenario, I think, was not. I think it was different. But anyway, uh, but, you know, a similar to, to support your point there, Craig, uh, I also had a case where I was in front of the sales team. One of the sales guys decided to hold my feet to the fire in public. You know, Steve, I, I won't let you leave this room until you tell me that my feature is going to come out in two weeks. And I'm like, OK, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, and he's like, Rrr. and I said, well, hang on, let's just open it up to the room. Is this the most important thing? And, uh, and the other sales reps were like, no, I couldn't care less about that. My customer wants feature X. Oh, well, my customer wants feature Y. And I said, guys, this is what I'm living with. Democracy sucks. Let's come up with a system for prioritization that we can all get behind. And so this is the method that I use and is it, where your projects have fallen in my priority. 
it's interesting because you, you made me think my, my, my late uncle was a worldwide product manager for IBM's largest printers, like the ones that sold to mailing, you know, billing companies and that type of mm-hmm. stuff to do mass mm-hmm. printing. And it, what he, he would have those bargains at the end of the year, he's already hit his number and he's got a salesperson trying to get discounting. Right. But for him, it was the predictability. I know that, that, that million dollar deal is going to come in in the first quarter. Why should I move it forward? Right. I've already hit my number. And so it can go both to development and to sales to your point uh, in, in both ways. It's a two way street. Mm-hmm. John, I wanted to get to your answer uh, by planning different things and funding different things. Don't fund a project with a date, fund a team with a set of goals and problems to solve. I love that. The simplicity of that. Talk to me about your, where, where you were, where, where you're simple, headed. Simple sentence, hard to do. Uh, especially if you're moving over, like a bunch of the clients we've worked with in the past have been project based. Like I'm going to form a team from scratch. It's a bunch of humans will come together. They are a project that will fund them for 18 months. And like, that's how work gets done. Uh, and it's not a super efficient way to do things, but it's the world. It's, it's a waterfall mentality and it's a theoretically predictable set of outcomes there. Um, but it's not particularly good for being agile in any way. Uh, agility works really well when you have people who are subject matter experts and uh, familiar with the problem space, right? Um, so, with the yeah. license to do what they need to do. Precisely, yeah. Some uh, whatever independent uh, teams with agency, basically. Yeah. Um, and the more agency you give them, the better the results will be. Generally, if you give them enough broad uh, corporate context, all of those teams will then march in the right. Uh, broader area OKRs and, and trickle down OKRs is exactly how you can do that. Um, so yeah, if you if you can keep the teams atom- uh, 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 coherent and together, they will become inherently more predictable anyway. And then if you don't say I'm going to give you whatever that feature that sales guy wants in two weeks, you instead say we're going to focus on this set of problems and make the, you know customers' lives better over this time frame, and we'll iteratively make it better till some point when we release it to customers. That's, that's how agile works. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, it's, again, it goes back to last week and stakeholder management and what Jason was saying at the beginning of the call. It's fine to c- commit to something or directionally commit to something a quarter out, two quarters out, a year out with the understanding that, it, that the f- whatever that time horizon is based on your history, the further out it is, the fuzzier it is. And then you make sure you communicate stakeholder management with those people as those plans change. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, with that said, let's move on to our poll and I'm gonna make it bigger so you guys can see it uh, and get rid of me for a second. So I, and we actually had a pretty good uh, discussions in the crowd. So the question was what department has the greatest need for predictability and finance was the overwhelming one. And Greg, I'm gonna let you, uh, you know, do your defense of that, uh, which you had shared in the notes, executives, and other, the other was operations to keep things running. And I guess, depending on the type of business you are, operations may need more predictability, especially if, if you're manufacturing or doing things where operations and logistics are reliant on those types of things. Graham Rowe actually came out with a perfect question, which you know may have changed my answer. What department has the greatest need or want? What, has the, what department has the greatest want for predictability, right? Is sales more wanting of predictability versus needing of predictability? I would have considered switching to sales. You know, some people need it, some people want it. You know, I'd love to get your take on that, Jason. Well, I think all departments, I don't know who would want the predictability more. I definitely 
believe, as I voted here, that finance needs it. I mean, they're paying bills. They need to keep their suppliers solvent. They need to know where the revenue streams are coming in. You know, there's a lot at stake for them not being able to pay their bills, pay their employees. They need complete predictability into the revenue streams. Sales likes it because they have to, because they're putting, finance is putting pressure on them. Yeah. And so they, they don't really, they want to hit their numbers for their own commission, but for the rest of the company, they, they really don't care because it's about their deals. Um, but finance is the ones putting pressure on them because finance needs that predictability of incoming revenue. Yeah. And, and, and so see, I think it still, still goes up to finance on that one. And where, where I was thinking about sales with the want in mind was Steve talking about sales always wanting, well, what date that going to be? When is that going to be? When can I start selling that? And those types of things. Steve, want versus need. Do you have a difference in opinion on who I, wants I, it versus who needs it the yeah, most? Yeah, I do. I, I know that sales wants to know. And don't we all? I mean, come on. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to win the next election? Who's going to win? Is it going to snow this weekend? I mean, we who's all want. Who's going to buy GameStop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when or and when is that whole thing going to blow up? But uh, you know, there are a lot of things we want to know. Uh, but in terms of need to know, I, I would say you're right. It probably is finance that needs to know. It's sales that wants to know. Um, and. Uh, revenue is a want to know as well. Yeah. You know, we, we'd love, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if you could say at the beginning of the year, here are the six accounts we're going to close this quarter or this half year. And then, you know, we could put all of our resources on that instead of on the ones we're not going to close. I mean, it seems ridiculous when you talk about it that way. Um, so yeah, I think sales has a want to know, not a need to know. Yeah. Greg, any uh, any other comments on finance? You had written it. No, no. Okay. It, it, yeah, the finance needs to know they're going to be accountable. The executives are going to hold them accountable. Shareholders, the whole nine yards, going to hold them hold them, you know, directly accountable. And you need to have that that information to be able to decide what you're doing for the business. And the executive, the CEOs, and all that are going to hold them accountable. So the executives want that predictability. But I agree with Steve that. The greater want is actually on the sales side. They want that predictability. And as you know, developments gets closer and closer to their needed timeline, they're gonna their want is gonna get in, you know, increase. As you you know, as you're saying, Grant, you know, it's like, okay, if the if you know manufacturing of those printers was, you know, behind, sales guy is gonna be like, wait a minute. You know, I, I, got I, deliver. I want, I want these on the, you know, on my customer's floor on this date, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, the, the sales really wants to have that predictability to be able to figure out how they're going to satisfy each one of the customers. Yeah. But finance absolutely totally needs it. You can't be, have any ambiguity sitting in finance. John, deviate for a second here, Greg, you made an interesting point just then. If I'm making printers, and IBM or not, uh, a customer wants to get one of my big honking printers on their floor at a certain time frame. This is no longer engineering. This is now manufacturing, yeah. which we've done a thousand times with this printer. And I think this is the dichotomy that John was bringing up at the beginning of the call is when you start thinking of engineering and development and design as factory work, you're going to become unhappy. So if, if instead the sales guy said, hey, they want our 
enormous, you know, our big mailing house printer thing, but they wanted it a new color or they want it with a new feature or they want it with a, you know, zero gravity option. Uh, I can no longer tell you when that's available. Yeah. I can tell you it takes seven days for me to make this, to manufacture this pre-designed thing. I cannot tell you how long it's going to take to do new development, new design. Well, and it also goes into the sell what's on the truck. Yeah. Sell what's on the truck. But but also that actually factors into, you know, as you get into more hard goods, even if it's technology or not, you get into supply chain issues and value chain issues. And if, if that boat from China gets stuck in the Los Angeles port because they're not able to process as much, that also creates more predicted, but that's places where there's a need versus one I could get uh, with sales. John, and they're done last that. question. Yeah, last question on this slide. How different is this in a SaaS subscriptions model versus a, the old fashioned enterprise or big ticket sales? It would seem like when you're selling a repeatable, a, a subscription, right? A, a Google workspace or whatever it may be, if I got the new name right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot more predictability on the revenue side, on the finance side. We're not like people aren't holding up waiting for release 7.0. Does it change the need inside the organization for predictability? Uh, I mean, I think it serves the need for predictability better, right? Certainly finance, yeah. right? They know uh less at the beginning of a company's uh life cycle than at the stage where google is right we have a bunch of recurring revenue already we have some estimates of the kinds of deals we'll close this year uh but not you know none of those are the company isn't hanging on on that one deal closing or something like they would if it was a startup so uh interestingly SaaS companies can more easily be predictable and agile at the same time uh, because uh, predictable in terms of revenue, because you have a base that recurs and churns at a semi-predictable rate. Um, and if it's like anything self-serving, like you have funnels and you know that if I put $12 in the top of the marketing funnel, $50 shoots out the bottom. Yeah. Uh, so you can make much better guesses that way too. So. More precision in the predictions. Yeah, indeed. Awesome. And nobody is hanging on whether or not Gmail is going to have a snooze option for an email. It's like, do you have email? Yes. Check. Do you have sheets? Do you have slides? Check, check, check. Nobody says, oh, but I in particular want to have a three-dimensional notes capability. Until you get into the very large enterprise sales, and then you should see our technical deal blockers list. Yes. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I was, I yeah. was also, I was thinking <clears throat> the same thing. You know, when it comes to like a cybersecurity thing, how does that fit within agility and predictability, on, especially on a, on a SaaS type of product? I mean, GDPR hit uh, SaaS companies super hard. Everybody had hard yeah. deadlines by which they needed to meet specific requirements. Uh, or you look, get shut down. Or yeah, well, or you yeah. Well, <laughs> compliance you and regulatories, yeah, exactly. Compliance and regulatories, I, I completely agree with that. Sure. And so yeah. features that were planned for first quarter were postponed to second quarter because we had to do GDPR. Yeah. And you communicated with all the stakeholders and said, this new thing is a mandate and therefore we can't do the other things. 
and it makes sense. The prioritization clearly makes sense to everyone. Yep. Uh, and so again, stakeholder management, we'll just keep talking about that all day. Transparency or is whatever. <laughs> Transparency, whatever. <laughs> we'll figure that one out, Steve, and make a quote out of it. So our, our first question for this call, what has been your biggest challenge with balancing predictability and agility? And I'm going to go back to annual budgeting, uh, especially when at a big company. I was at GE back in the day and we, the budgeting and the allocation of resources happened in October. And we, we identified we needed to be more agile. This was back in 1996, 1997. We're like, we didn't call it agile then. It was, you know, what happens if a new opportunity comes up that we think we should do? And the strategy team put this great three-point process in place. <laughs> okay, identify this, compare this, score this. If we think it should go forward, yes, no. Then finance came up with this thing that was like a, you know, a lost map <laughs> or a, an Escher uh, drawing where everything led to each other and we couldn't get stuff done because they didn't want to move away. Finance didn't, finance needs the predictability, but also finance doesn't then want to change. They don't want to be agile. And so my biggest challenge has been working with once you have that annual budget set and people said, these are, these are initiatives you're going to be working on getting people to open their minds to changing when we learn something new or a new opportunity comes along. Or new issue like cybersecurity. Jason, biggest challenge with balancing. I mean, you had this great answer to start with, so you maybe you don't have challenges with it. So I just copy and paste. Um, <laughs> so yeah, interesting. When I led, I led marketing for several years, and when we talk about budgeting, it reminded me of a conversation. Obviously, I have a lot with finance. I think I have gripes against finance, like Steve has gripes against sales. But I work with finance a lot. And I said, okay, what's my budget for marketing? Because we need to know, I mean, we need to plan marketing events nine months out. You yeah. know, if you're doing field marketing or any kind of major you know, campaign event, management. Conference. Yeah, so I need to know nine months from now. I mean, I need to know from now what my budget is for something that I'm going to do nine months from now. And the finance person's like, well, you can have X amount of budget, but first we have to close the like so many deals throughout the year. I'm like, so I get my budget as soon as I close business, <laughs> and which is dependent <laughs> on sales, that's not a budget. Like budget doesn't work after you've got the money, it's before you get the money. And I'm trying to set things up for this, the next couple of years. So it's interesting that even finance, I think sometimes doesn't understand what budget actually means to set aside money to do some work. Well, that, that uh, back at the GE, that was the issue we had is we, you know, we always put a way too aggressive number on the, on the plate because <clears throat> GE made you. And then come September, when you're not hitting that number, that's when they would do headcount freezes and cut your variable expenses. And it's like, well, so you're taking all of our marketing and lead generation out of the fourth and even some of the third quarter. And then you wonder why we don't make our number in the first half of next year, yeah. <laughs> right? There, there's a direct equivalency to that. And actually there was a, re me and my academic research, there was a research study on marketing myopia and it, it was research into secondary offerings. And they were able to dig into the data to say, those companies that cut marketing and research dollars to hit quarterly numbers versus those who did not. And because you're, go, you're, you're trying to get your EBITDA for your multiple at your secondary offering, 
what they found was, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the numbers right now, but it was like after one year, the companies that did not cut their budgets were something like 20% more valuable than those who did. And after four years, it was like 50% more valuable or four times. I'll find that study and I'll put it in the notes uh, once we do it. But that was the biggest thing. You, you Finance doesn't understand, you know, predictive. It's, it's almost the, the, the mirror of it, right? They want the predictability from us, but we need the predictability from them. Yeah. Steve. Interesting. Well, it's easier to predict if after the fact, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Predictions are hard, especially if they're about the future. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Well, you know, my recent experience is more along the lines of uh, the expectation that agility means we can throw best practices out the window. So in working with one team, I had a very clear path. You know, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this order. And the development work is going to take about this amount of time. And then the, uh, the rollout work is going to take about this amount of time. And then, you know, I come to find that people are being pulled off those projects to work on other special projects. And yet, it's like leadership didn't see that if I have zero people working on my project, my project is not going forward because I have not yet perfected the auto code capability that works, you know, in the background while the developers are elsewhere. That would have been the machine learning AI stuff from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, indeed. And so it just seems to me that when we say to leadership, you know, agility, they're like, oh, that means I can move people around and I can change all the requirements. I can do everything that we know from 50 years of doing this is wrong with no impact. And, you know, back to Steve and stakeholder management, it's like, okay, I'm good with that. If you, I understand we need to do GDPR. Here's what that means. Here's all these functions that we're, or features we are not going to have. And they're like, how can you do that to us? And I'm like, I'm a victim here. I mean, I've got the resources I've got and the team can only do what the team can do. And why is that so difficult to understand? Yeah, I call it a, you're making a conscious decision versus an unconscious decision. We are consciously deciding not to do these projects to be able to do GDPR. Yeah, totally. Everybody nod your head. Totally. And in my case, we were unconsciously making those decisions yeah. so that, you know, the the work was starting four months after it was agreed the work would start. So that's going to kind of impact my roadmap. Right. And this is also a place where scope creep would come in. Right. Uh, that that it's a hard when I've had scope creep and I've had heads of te technology development who have their own ideas of what the product should be we could never be agile <laughs> and we could never in that every time i talk about the thing if i haven't heard from development in a while i add a little bit i add a little bit i mean you know my executives had this infinite capability for extrapolating and so they had in their heads that we were going to deliver twice what i ever agreed to because you know they'd been talking so much about it yeah john any thoughts on biggest challenge balancing predictability and agility? Uh, it's probably earlier in my career around salespeople selling futures um, with a degree of certainty that did not exist in the world, um, which is like 
the sales wants predictability because they know they can close the deal if they say you're going to get cool feature X by June, but we don't know that we're actually going to get that. And uh, that's where that's where I got hammered into the uh, sell what's on the truck. So it's so was that were those off roadmap things or were those things that were on the roadmap that they were they were pre selling? Largely things on the roadmap that they were pre selling that we communicated uh, too much precision in the timing of largely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a critical thing. Well, it's not that hard. You just take the post-it note off the flip chart and I'm mean, off the roadmap and just move it over one. I mean, why is that so difficult? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. The next question, uh, what are the best techniques and tools to help balance? So we started with what, what's the biggest challenge? What are the techniques and tools to help balance that predictability and agility? Uh, you know, we talked about a lot of theoretical things to do. Are there tools out there that you use? Are there uh, techniques you use to help to balance that? Objective scoring, al you know, alignment meetings, whatever it may be. Uh, Greg, I'd love to get yeah. your take on this. I mean, I think that, you know, I've used like quarterly alignment meetings um, and, you know, having that predictable score of each of the features. So you basically, it's just a, uh, you know, you can do it in multiple different ways, whether it's a simple spreadsheet or things like that. It's a, a variation of risk management type of, of uh, valuations of, you know, importance of each of the feature sets and where we are and what we've done. So you'd basically, you know, it's just like, you know, PI planning at the end of the day yeah. for each one of those. I mean, I would go back to what you were saying, Grant, about budgeting and, and agility a little bit is that budgets are budgets. It doesn't give you a right to actually spend it. So you have a budget and I have to, you know, and you have to come up with like a, a basic spend plan. And I can, I, you know, at any given time, we may change that spend plan and move that budgets around. So that's the, that's the tricky part of like yearly budgets and saying, this is what we're going to do for the year. It's, it's rarely ever going to be that way. And it's almost like we have to change the whole definition of annual planning to be saying we're we're putting a plan in place. We're only predicting and confident about what we're going to do in the first quarter, first half. And things are subject to change. This is not a, to your said, written in stone. This is a, based right. on what we know now, this is what's going to happen. If we, as things evolve, as we learn things, as GDPR comes out as something else, we're going to continually evolve this. And, and finance people hate you for that. Well, but <laughs> but that's just reality. But the finance that's, people, that's, there should there should be some definition of okay. Here's what the budget is. Here's yeah. what our target revenue is. I, I had a, a sales leader once say, when I we had a big deal that we lost that we thought we were going to win, and he said, Grant, you know it sucks. You still have to hit that number. So go figure out what the levers are you need to pull to to get to that number. And we you know we did some creative stuff and we pulled some levers and pulled some stuff forward, but we needed to, to hit the number that year. Uh, but so those are some of the tools you were able to use. Yeah. The numbers are the numbers, right? Here's the budget we're planning. Here's, here's the revenue we're, we're planning to hit. Here's what we are as it's like road mapping with what we know right now, this is what we're going to do. Right. But as things change and evolve, we have the ability. And I don't think most senior leadership teams or CEOs, communicate the plans with that level of agility right everybody wants to be agile but their plan is 
this is our annual plan and they don't take that into consideration. And I think that that is a big, you know, it's a challenge, but of the alignment, the redefining what planning is and what a budget is, I think could go a long way to that. Steve, I'd love to get your take. There we go. I'm going to go back to Kanban and roadmap and take a little bit of John's point as well. And that is uh, build in a lot of uh, slack in the, in the schedule. Yeah. Um, and I, in a recent project, I put too much precision in the roadmap and then it was like, well, you haven't achieved these things. So every time, every time I was having a conversation, their perception was that I was de-scoping. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't have developers at the moment. So I guess, yeah, I am. But uh, being able to say, here's what's on the roadmap. Here's what's in the Kanban queues. Here's the visibility. And sharing less early on so that when I'm in these meetings, I'm, I'm talking about success rather than failure. Awesome. Jason. Uh yeah, roadmaps, lots of communication. Like I said earlier, I think it's important that you have to build trust uh, with the product teams. Um, I think all the stakeholders have to have trust that what you say you're going to do, you're going to do for the most part. And however that works best for your teams to accomplish that, it's still the most important thing because what they what you don't want is a situation where no matter what the product manager says is going to happen on the roadmap, nobody believes them. Yeah. You know, and so whatever, you know, I, I don't believe in bloating a project schedule. I mean, I don't believe that because what ends up happening is like, oh, everything we do, just give 30% more time. Where is that 30%? Well, it's pretty arbitrary, but we want to make sure we have a buffer. Should it be 25%? Should it be 35%? And what ends up happening is you train these people with the thumb rules and then they take that into account and then everything gets blown anyway. So I always go all the way down to the estimates at the development level with the, you know, Fibonacci, you know, we talk about lean agile and Fibonacci and say, listen, there's uncertainty, let's bring that up, the numbers, and then that gets baked into your estimates and your deliverables from the development level. I don't, I don't like putting a, just a number on it, but that's how I operated. And it seems, so I trained uh, at the levels of the people that are doing the work for their uncertainty yeah. um, versus just a random number um, because I wanted to build that trust. And I think that's the most important thing. And in the organization I'm at right now, we have a lot of movement not only just moves a quarter, it moves several quarters. Yeah. I think it just, it, so people don't trust the roadmap. So if Steve would put a roadmap in front and be like, great, but even next quarter, like I have no idea because you move, everything moves so much that they just, they stop paying attention and you don't want to get into that scenario. So whatever it takes. I, I agree. It's interesting because sometimes we'll put topics next to each other because of the, you know, we, we did the, bringing product management in to a new organization and then hiring a product manager back to back. We didn't plan stakeholder communications and predictability and agility back to back yet almost like worked perfectly <laughs> to do that. John, any take on this before we get to the lightning round? Uh, to Jason's point, your hedge is based on the level of uncertainty and your confidence in your solutions, basically like it's not, you don't just say, I always bake in 20%. It's situational. Yeah. It, it depends um, to bring that back. <laughs> to um, yeah, but I but, think it needs to be at the, at the development level or QA, not at your scrum master or product manager level that's saying, let's just throw 20% on this because 
I think it's difficult work. Like yeah, no, it's like the engineer, engineer leader, uh, engineering team leader, or the individual engineers uh, exactly. when they're And you're not going to have that for the thing you're building 18 months from now because you're not going to have the level of detail handed to them there. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, a different kind of roadmap. Uh, Steve mentioned roadmap, and Jason reinforced it. But you don't have the uh, everything on a date roadmap. You have the stuff we're working on now, the stuff that's you know sort of next, and then this stuff yeah. is in the future. So no idea. Yeah. Uh, Let's just go to, I had another really great thought, but I completely lost it. So let's just go to lightning round. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to put some specific frames. We've, we've talked about a lot of advice for tools and techniques. This is where you start. What's the first thing you do? If you're gonna, if somebody's struggling with balancing predictability and agility, we talked in before about take a step back. What's the first thing you do? Breathe, whatever it may be. You know, don't forget the tools and techniques, but somebody's that you see them, them mired in it. What's the first thing you're going to recommend? Greg. Um, go back to how did you how did you come up with the the list that you're working on now and what you're planning on doing next? Just go back to your fundamentals. Take as you said, take a breath. Go back. Why are you doing these things? What's your team telling you? And then and then communicate that. Awesome, Jason. Uh, I uh, I agree with Greg and also you know, look at what you what you've done. So this is a plus, but also look at what you've done. And, you know, do you already have, uh, like I said, uh, um, predictability? Or are you already pretty much reliable in your predictability from what you have done, um, if you've done anything in the past? Um, if not, what were the causes of those things? And how can you shore those up to be more predictable in the future? So let's, make, let's look at everything we have in the list and how we got them and prioritize them. Let's also do a retrospective on the past, what's worked, what's been a, okay. Yes, Two, good. Good, good yes ands. John. It depends again. So I guess the answer is you have to figure out where you, I mean, sort of to Greg and Jason's points, you have to figure out where you are and what the problems you have had with predictability versus agility and address it based on that. Uh, and then the other thing I remembered was the other tool and technique is no. Uh, saying no, not allowing scope creep to happen, uh, making sure the priorities stay the priorities. Awesome. Steve, a lot of pressure on you here because we've had a good yes and, yes and, yes and. Steve, mute. Well, mine is, you know, nothing seems hard to people who don't have to do it. So I think you start off with where's the predictability? What's the current state of predictability? Um, I once sat down with my dev team and I said, you know, why are you guys always late? And they said, well, because of this and this and this that all came back to scope creep. So figuring out where the core is that is driving the lack of predictability gives you something to work to to address the predictability problem. And, and I may have told this story before, but I went back to the leadership team and I said, I figured out why development sucks. It's you guys. You need to shut the hell up and let them finish some work because you have a new idea every day. And one idea from you is months of work for them. Yeah. Awesome, Steve. Thank you. And I'm going to just to keep, oh, didn't mean to go back to that one right there. But uh, for my final lightning round, I'm going to go back to the, our new word we coined. And it's do all of that with transparency <laughs> and make sure you're, com you're, you're transparent with the people. Make sure that people are aware of it. You're sincere, right? I care about it, I, 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 what I'm doing, but look at what you're doing right? Look at what could be going wrong. Say no. Uh, 
and do it all with transparency and sincerity to make sure people are seeing it. As soon as you start trying to hide stuff, right? That's when people, if you're hiding stuff, people are assuming something's wrong and you're doing something wrong and you're losing out on that game. So uh, I think, I, you know, I think again, a lot of great answers there. Greg, Jason, John, Steve, thank you so much. As we know, Monday, the question goes out and Jason answers it normally first. Wednesdays, we've got the poll. And Fridays, we have these wonderful conversations. And again, you know, week after week, these are some of the best times I have in a week and the best conversations. So thank you guys so much. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody. Be positive, test negative. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.